Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith using the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. Today, with the Lord's help, we want to continue to learn more about God's plan of redemption for fallen sinners as we consider the doctrine of the atonement of Christ. Now, that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 as we read the verses 18 to 25. Hear God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So far the reading of the holy word of God, may the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts today. Dear friends, why did Christ come to this earth? There are various answers to that question. Some say that he came to this earth to set before us a good example of how to live. So just as Jesus loved his neighbor, so we must love our neighbor. Others say he came to this earth to make us happy. Because of Christ, we can have what's called our best life now. Still others say that he came to this earth to shake things up a bit. In their view, Jesus was a hippie-like rabble-rouser, intent on overthrowing the existing social and religious order, replacing it with a new order based on love and peace. But none of these answers gets to the heart of why Jesus came to this earth. The Bible teaches that Jesus came to this earth for one purpose, and that was to make atonement for our sins. We come in our study of the Belgic Confession of Faith to Articles 20 and 21. And in these articles, our confession explains the atonement of Christ. Now, there's a certain logical progression in our confession's treatment of this subject. In Article 17, we reflected on the promise of the mediator. And we saw that immediately after the fall, God promised to send his son into the world to bruise the head of the serpent and to restore to us righteousness and life. 
Then in Article 18, we reflected on the incarnation of the mediator. And we saw that God fulfilled this promise when he sent his son into the world and that he took upon himself a real human soul and a real human body, which he received from the Virgin Mary and became in every respect like one of us except without sin. Then in Article 19, we reflected on the mystery of the mediator. We considered the relationship between the divine and the human natures of Christ, that Christ is fully human and fully divine in one person. Well, now in Articles 20 and 21, we consider why God sent his Son into the world. And the answer is, as we've already said, to make atonement for the sins of his people. And so with that in mind, let's consider this teaching under the heading, The Atonement of Christ. And we'll consider, first of all, the need for the atonement, secondly, the cost of the atonement, and then thirdly, the benefit of the atonement. Christ came to this earth to make atonement. Now, what does that word mean? Well, the word atonement is an English word made up of two root words, the word at and the word one. To atone, therefore, means to make two things at one. In other words, to bring two opposing things together. In this case, God on the one hand and man on the other. You see, because of the fall into sin, God and man are at odds with each other. Man by nature hates God, and God is angry with man. There is a chasm between God and man. And the cause of this chasm is sin. Because God is holy, he cannot bear to look at sin. It only angers him. What is more, since God is just, sin must be punished. God is not like you and me. You and I, we can sweep sins under the rug and pretend as though they never happened, but God cannot do that. God must punish sin. If God did not punish sin, he would not be God. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism, another one of the Reformed Confessions, explains this in Lord's Day 4, question and answer 11. There, after observing that God is terribly displeased with our original as well as our actual sins, and therefore will punish them in his just judgment temporally and eternally, our catechism asks the question, is not God then also merciful? And the answer is, God is indeed merciful, but also just. Therefore, his justice requires that sin, which is committed against the most high majesty of God, be also punished, with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. And so the point of the Heidelberg Catechism is clear. Sin must be punished. What is more, since God is infinite, and since all sin is committed ultimately against God, sin must be punished with infinite punishment, with everlasting punishment of body and soul in hell. And to make matters worse, our sins continue to accumulate. Every day we sin, and we sin in many different ways. There are sins of thought, sins of word, sins of deed. There are sins of omission and sins of commission. There are so many sins, we cannot begin to count them all. They're like a mountain. Each and every one of us has a mountain of debt that clings to us, making God more and more angry. 
Now, needless to say, this teaching is not very popular today. In fact, most people, including, sadly, many professing Christians, recoil at this teaching. And there are two reasons for this. First of all, because we have made light of sin. We no longer think that sin is all that sinful. Secondly, we have remade God in our own image. You see, we feel uncomfortable with a God who is holy and just. We prefer a God who is all love and mercy, a kind of gentle grandfatherly figure who loves us unconditionally and who merely winks at sin. But friends, neither of these views is scriptural. The truth is sin is sinful, so sinful that it deserves infinite punishment. And God is holy and just, so holy and just that he must punish sin. So the penalty for sin must be paid. The wrath of God must be assuaged. But how? It's clear we cannot do this ourselves. And the reason for that is because you and I are sinners. Even if we could pay the penalty for one sin, we would have to pay the penalty for another and another and another, and we would never be done paying the penalty for our sins. What we need is a mediator, and not just any mediator. We need a mediator who is fully human and perfectly righteous, but at the same time, one who is also fully divine. So why must he be perfectly human and perfectly righteous? Again, the Heidelberg Catechism answers that question so well. In Lord's Day 6, question and answer 16. The question is asked, why must he be very or real man and also perfectly righteous? The answer is this, because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin And one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Then the catechism goes on to ask, why must he also be fully divine? And the answer is that he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Well, there's only one person who meets those qualifications, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He and he alone can reconcile us to God. And friends, this is precisely why Jesus came to this earth. He came to save his people from their sins. In fact, that's implied in his very name, Jesus. Earlier we read from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. There we have the account of the birth of the Lord Jesus. And we read there that Joseph had just learned that his betrothed wife Mary was going to have a baby. And Joseph thought that she had been unfaithful to him. And so he considered breaking off his engagement to her. But as Matthew writes, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
So the angel here commands Joseph to call his son Jesus, adding this explanation, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. It means Savior. And so it speaks abundantly clearly about the purpose for which Jesus came to this earth, which was to save his people from their sins. But this came at a great cost. And that brings us to our second point. How did Christ make atonement for the sins of his people? The answer, in brief, is by dying. Death is the penalty for sin. When God placed man in the Garden of Eden, he told him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warned him that the day that he ate of that tree, he would surely die. The Apostle Paul confirms this when he writes that the wages of sin is death. Well, this is why Christ died. He died to pay this penalty for the sins of his people. But Christ did not die an ordinary death. He died the death of all deaths. Our confession in Articles 20 and 21 mentions several qualities of the death of Christ. First of all, it says there that Christ's death was a cursed death. Our confession mentions that Christ offered himself on the tree of the cross. My friends, Christ did not die an ordinary death. He died by hanging on a tree. And death by hanging on a tree was cursed by God. Deuteronomy 21, Moses commanded the people that if they hang a man on a tree, they were not permitted to allow his body to remain all night on the tree. For he said, he that is hanged is accursed of God. The Apostle Paul confirms that in Galatians 3 verse 13. There he writes that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 21, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. What Paul is saying is that the reason why Christ was able to redeem us from the curse of the law was because by dying on the cross, he became a curse for us. Because death by hanging on a tree was cursed by God. Secondly, Christ's death was a vicarious death. That word vicarious means substitutionary. When Christ died, he died in the place of his people. Our confession says that God laid our iniquities on him, giving his son to death for us. And later in Article 21, it says that he has presented himself in our behalf to the Father. Now, we are the ones who deserve to die, but Christ died in our place. He died so that we might live. Thirdly, Christ's death was propitiatory. That means his death assuaged the wrath of God against sin. Article 20 of our confession says that God sent his son to make satisfaction. And in Article 21, it says that he has presented himself in our behalf to the Father to appease his wrath. So contrary to popular belief, God is not a grandfatherly Santa Claus type figure who just winks at sin. No, he is absolutely holy. And as such, his wrath is provoked on account of sin. And that wrath must be assuaged in order for us to stand 
before God. Well, this is what Christ did when he died on the cross. He assuaged, he propitiated the wrath of God against sin. Fourthly, we confess here that Christ's death was unjust. Our confession says he was condemned by Pontius Pilate as a malefactor, though he had first declared him innocent. And elsewhere it says that he restored that which he took not away and suffered the just for the unjust. In other words, Christ did not deserve to die. He could not deserve to die for the simple reason that he never did anything wrong. But he did die in order, as we've seen, to pay the penalty for sin. Fifthly, Christ's death was severe. Our confession says that he suffered as well in his body as in his soul, feeling the terrible punishment which our sins had merited, insomuch that his sweat became like unto great drops of blood falling on the ground. And it also points out that when Jesus was on the cross during the three hours of darkness, he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, how great were the sufferings of Christ. They were greater than we can possibly imagine. The fact that they were so great teaches us how terrible and wicked sin is. My friends, never think that sin is no big deal. Never think lightly of sin. It caused the Son of God unimaginable pain and suffering. Sixthly, we confess here that Christ's death was sufficient. A confession says that it is not necessary to seek or invent any other means of being reconciled to God than this only sacrifice once offered. That means we don't have to add anything to the work of Christ. Not our religious rituals, our devotion, our good works, our spiritual experiences, nothing. No matter who we are or what we have done or what we have not done, whatever we need is to be, is to be found completely in Christ. In fact, my friends, there's enough saving power in the blood of Christ to save every single person in the entire world from the beginning to the end of time. Seventhly, we confess that Christ's death was a fulfillment of prophecy. In this connection, Article 21 quotes from Isaiah 53, verses 5, 7, and 12. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and numbered with the transgressors. Now remember, Isaiah prophesied these things hundreds of years before Christ died. His death was a fulfillment of prophecy. And so we see then that the death of the Lord Jesus was no ordinary death. It was the most painful, most humiliating, most cursed death imaginable. And this was the cost of our atonement. And it's a cost that he was more than willing to bear. But what is especially striking about the death of Christ is that he was sent to die by his own father. Article 20 of the Belgian Confession begins by saying that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed to make satisfaction in the same and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. So we learn here that God was the moving cause of the atonement. 
Specifically, it was the love of God. And how important this is. You see, there are those in the Christian church who argue that the moving cause of the atonement lay exclusively in the sympathetic love of Christ for sinners. And so in their view, God the Father is an angry, wrathful judge who is only too willing and even eager to consign fallen sinners to everlasting damnation and hell. And the only reason why he doesn't do that is because the Son, moved with compassion for the fallen human race, agreed to pay the penalty for their sins by dying on the cross. But friends, that is an utterly false conception. According to the scriptures, the moving cause of the atonement lies not in Christ's sympathetic love for sinners, but rather in the sovereign good pleasure and love of God. Consider Isaiah 53 verse 10. There it was predicted that the suffering servant who was Christ would come into the world in order to carry out the good pleasure of God and the pleasure of the Lord, he says, shall prosper in his hand. And in John 3.16, John declares that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Galatians 1 verse 4, the Apostle Paul says that Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God the Father. Oh, my friends, how great is our God. How many of us would give our lives, let alone the life of one of our children, to die for someone who was utterly unworthy, let alone to die the most painful, most humiliating, most cursed death imaginable. Not one of us, but this is what God did. Child of God, he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins. And what is more, he did this in such a way as to satisfy both his justice and his mercy. And that's what we confess in Article 20 of the Confession of Faith. There we confess that in the death of Christ, God manifested his justice against his Son when he laid our iniquities upon him and poured forth his mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation out of mere and perfect love. So God satisfied his justice in the death of his Son and he satisfied his mercy by imputing the benefits of his death to sinners who repent and believe on his name. Now, many people today don't like to speak about the justice of God. They prefer only to speak of his love and his mercy, but God cannot be divided up into pieces. Nor can we emphasize one of his attributes over and against his other attributes. God is the sum total of all of his attributes, and that means he is both just and merciful. And when it comes to the salvation of sinners, God cannot be merciful at the expense of his justice, nor can he be just at the expense of his mercy. He must be both in full measure. Both his mercy and his justice must be satisfied, and they are perfectly in the death of his son. Oh, how glorious is God's plan of redemption. But now, what is the benefit of this atonement for you and for me? Well, that brings us to our third and final point. Dear friends, there are many benefits of the atonement of Christ for the believer. 
Our confession expresses that in Article 21, when it says that in his wounds we find all manner of consolation. That's one of the most beautiful expressions in the Belgic Confession. What does it mean? Well, it simply means that in the atonement of Christ, there is great comfort. Because Christ died for us, we have, in the first place, the forgiveness of sins. Because Christ died, all our sins, past, present, and future, sins of omission and commission, sins of thought, word, and deed, they're all washed away by the blood of Christ so that they are remembered no more. And the result is we stand before God as though we had never sinned. Another benefit is peace with God. Because Christ died, the wrath of God is assuaged. There is peace, perfect peace, between God and his people. A third benefit is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ died, the Holy Spirit takes up his abode in our hearts. He teaches us, he leads us, he guides us, he convicts us of our sin, he brings us to Christ, he works faith in our hearts, he converts us, sanctifies us, and ultimately will glorify us. He imparts to us all the benefits of Christ by faith. A fourth benefit is the adoption of sons. Because Christ died, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, and as such we've been made joint heirs with Christ so that whatever he receives, we receive in him. If he receives a kingdom, so do we. If he receives power, so do we. If he receives honor, so do we. All that is Christ's is ours. A fifth benefit of Christ is everlasting life. Because Christ died, we may live forever. Only the life that we live is not like life here on this earth. Life on this earth is affected by the fall into sin. That's why there's war. That's why there's crime and sickness and disease and death and sorrow. But in the life to come, there will be none of these things. We will live in perfect fellowship and communion with God and with each other to an endless, everlasting eternity. Oh, are these benefits not wonderful? Can we ask for anything more? But my friends, these benefits belong only to believers. Are you a believer today? There's no greater privilege than to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because in him we have everything. And today again he invites all those who have never believed on his name to come to him and to receive from him the pardon of all of their sins and the gift of everlasting life. And he offers these things to us freely without cost all he requires is that we turn from our sin that we believe on his name and we live to his glory my friend will you not do so christ died that sinners like us may live oh believe on him then and you will live amen we always appreciate hearing from our listeners if you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today We'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. That's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. 
If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check at any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage again is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.